record. We're on hiatus for a little bit. Uh, we are on page, it should say on the top, it should say on the top, Lamed Zayin. Lamed Zayin, page 37. And we're in chapter Yud Aleph, chapter 11. And uh, as you find that previously, previously, hi guys, previously on, uh, previously on the journey of Rabbi Nachman, so... Uh, so I'll find the pages for people as they come in. Previously on the journey of Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman had been in Istanbul. He found a fixer there uh, who was going to help them. They had uh, dwelled inside uh, the inner city of Istanbul. And uh, Rabbi Nachman had uh, underwent uh, all kinds of bizyonos. He had been uh, undergoing his project of, uh, uh, right at the bottom, Yud Aleph. He had been undergoing his project of being mashpil himself, of lowering himself to, to previously unheard of levels of... Uh, of uh, of yes, of of, of of foolishness and child <laughs> childishness and and making himself seem small and nothing, and um, and and he and he and he basically he's doing this as we mentioned because Rabbi Nachman is trying to under kind of, undergo a kind of cleansing, a kind of um, I'm sorry I'm a little under the weather so uh, I'll I'll do my best so he he I'm definitely getting a fever that's for sure. So Rabbi Nachman had been undergoing all this because he recognized, and we'll see, the teaching is much more explicit tonight. Rabbi Nachman recognized that the level of Eretz Yisrael, the level of the land of Israel, if one is to receive that properly, they have to totally cleanse themselves of, of, of everything that's happened before because to acquire what we would call mochen Eretz Yisrael, a mind of Eretz Yisrael, the ability to, to understand Eretz Yisrael and what's going on there, so you have to cleanse yourself of a mind of galus. It's a kind of a race erasing that needs to happen. So Rabbi Nachman does so by lowering himself, a, a great-grandson of Baal Shem Tov and, and, and a famous Hasidic rabbi, an up-and-coming prodigious Hasidic rabbi in his own right, to lower himself to a level where he'd be able to be Makabalist. And we saw this has parallels in the Gemara as well. We saw previously in the Shurim and Eretz Yisrael, the Rav Zeira, when he wanted to go mi, mi when he wanted to go from here to there, Hassam being the land of Israel, when he wanted to go there, so he fasted, he, was, he fasted a hundred times, in order to forget the learning they had in Bavel. So Rabbi Nachman is undergoing a, a, similar, a similar kind of thing as well. So, so it, we start, so previously Rabbi Nachman has just left Istanbul and, um, and he's 1798. 1798. Uh, the year is exact here. The year is exact because uh, we're going to immediately encounter one of the major world events at that time, which is the Napoleon. It's called, yeah, the Napoleonic Wars are making their way to the Mediterranean, which is going to be a, a very important theme in the rest of the story because that creates a lot of the tension and the narrative danger that Rabbi Nachman is going to have to undergo. So previously, we saw that. Um, they, we saw that they had gotten into fights with this rabbi, with the Shlucha de Rabbanan, and they had, uh, they had almost gotten themselves in real deep trouble, playing this kind of brinksmanship, chicken, like how much can we play the game of, how much can we play the game of being the vaz ourselves, and hiding our identities, and not telling anybody who we are, and, uh, and, and making, like, making a real game out of it, but also we'll see this week, it, it reaches ahead and it becomes real. So we start, Miyad Achenisiyasim Istanbul. Right after they traveled from Istanbul, so that original fixer that they had come into contact with, who was eventually going to help broker their journey onto a ship to Eretz Yisrael, so that fixer comes and says, Herlo, he gives him, He shows Rinachan turning the page, many letters, we're on page 38, Lamin Ches. 
shows many letters from some of the great tzaddikim of that generation. Talmudic language. That this guy, this individual, this fixer says, I've had dealings with many great tzaddikim and I, and I help them. And I help them travel from, uh, from, from Gaulus, from, from outside the land of Israel, and I broker their journey to the land of Israel. Kihu. Because this individual, he was very well connected and he was very close with people that were high up. He had the ability to go ahead and fix people's journeys. But he says, listen, if you tell me who you are, what family you're from, it's going to be good. But if not, I have the ability to do very bad things to you. And you have to remember there was a suspicion of Rabbi Nachman or right, um, the, this Rabbi Nachman, this individual that was hiding his identity, was going to actually foment uh, tremendous debate and tremendous machlokas in Israel. So he definitely had in his mind this fixer that he was doing a good thing by doing this. He says, I could do bad things to you. You won't be able to redeem yourselves from that. You won't be able to, to fix what I'm going to do to you. You won't be able to buy your way out of it. And also, that's, if that's not enough, you also won't be able to travel to the land of Israel. You're not going to make it to the land of Israel. You'll also be in jail. I'm going to have you tossed in jail. So he starts to threaten them. So basically at this point, Rabbi Nachman recognizes the game is up. Right? You can't go anymore because... For the first time, the trip itself is in jeopardy. Up to now, he could go in and be mavaz himself, and he could make himself really low, and he could embarrass himself so much because because that's part of the trip. But right now, we see that the trip itself is jeopardized. That he might not make the trip at all because this is a very real, tangible threat. So, Kasher Shamazos Rabbeinu Zechon Rabbi Nachman heard these words, this ultimatum. Miad Amr Lo Immediately, he told them the truth. He said, Shishmo Rabbi Nachman. My name is, he probably said Nachman. V'unechel Baal Shem Tov. And I am a descendant of the Baal Shem Tov, Zechon Levracha. Rabbi Nachman Me'aradenka. And I'm also a descendant of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, the Talmud of the, uh, his grandfather. A Talmud of the Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. So this fixer immediately jumps backwards and realizes what's going on and who's standing in front of him. He's shocked. He, he, he can't say anything. He just walks away. So the next day, and, and one is probably has to sit and think, like, what happened that night? Like, what was he thinking about after this individual? He just threatened Rabbi Nachman, he realizes. Previously, he thought it was just some, uh, some, some traveler, some anonymous traveler, but he's threatened Rabbi Nachman. So he comes back the next day, love, in, in, in deep humility, humbling himself before Rabbi Nachman. He says with the language of love and connection, Rabbi Nachman, may God be with you. Now that's an interesting Lashem because that comes from where? That comes from Rus, right? From Boaz to the his field workers. He says, Hashem imachem. It's a wink. It's like a lashon of Tamid Chacham because this is greeting somebody in Berchas Hashem. In, in, indeed, we don't really do this nowadays because we, we this probably did so with the Shem Hashem. Hashem imachem, right? Sometimes when, uh, when somebody from Eidot Mizrach gets a, uh, an Aliyah. So say, Hashem imachem. What do they say? Yivarech Hashem, right? So it's an exchange. Right? So it's an exchange of sorts. So he's winking at him. He says, I know what I'm talking about over here. You're going to get all good from me. I'm going to give you whatever I can. I'm going to repay you guys double for everything. You told me the truth. Because if you didn't, you would have ended up in jail. I would have prevented your journey from happening by all means. 
He says, I would have been punished, not only just in this world, but in the next world, because I would have been doing all this to Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Right? So that really raises the question. I want to just toss out a question for you guys to think about, and then we'll move on. But we recognize how dangerous, just how dangerous Rabbi Nachman's game was. Because he's really playing with people's souls over here. Right? This guy is saying, if you wouldn't have told me the truth, then I would have tossed Rabbi Nachman of Breslov in jail, thinking that he's just some anonymous traveler who's trying to foment trouble in Eretz Yisrael. So it got him into a very big uh, problem. He says, you would have punished me both in this world and the next world. There's nothing worse. The question that arises after that is maybe, can, can, can we say that the person, let's say he would have actually, Rabbi Nachman would have decided, no, the game's not up, and he would have been thrown in jail by this individual. Would that individual have been punished? He didn't know, right? Would that individual have borne any sort of responsibility for doing so to what was actually Rabbi Nachman of Wrestle? That's a good question to think about. There's famous stories about someone who embarrasses a Rebbe on a train. Yeah, 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 and, the, and he asks, begs for forgiveness. And the Rebbe says, you have to find the fellow that you embarrassed. Oh, I love that story. You know, yeah. Now you're apologizing. Uh, you're apologizing. I heard it in Chavetz Chaim or something yeah, like that. So, so, somebody, right? The story idea. goes, two guys are sitting on the train and, and one of them starts to embarrass and be mavaz of the other one, you know, insult him and everything. It's like a plain, humble... Exactly. Party. And then they get to the train station. Everybody's waiting there. And everybody, you know, is like, he recognizes they're waiting there. Not for me. They're waiting there for this, uh, for this guy that I've been treating like garbage the whole time. And he starts immediately, of course. You know, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And please forgive me. I beg of you anything. And the Rebbe says, It's fine. You don't need to ask forgiveness from me. You need to ask forgiveness from who you thought I was. Right? So, so, that's, so that's meaning, even though it's almost comical, so it's a comedy of errors. But in truth, uh, that's really what's going on over here as well. And, 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 but also, the fault is with Rebbe Nachman because Rebbe Nachman, how can Rebbe Nachman expect these people to understand his game and know his game? Right? That's a question because this is a really dangerous thing that he's doing. And this is all for Rabbi Nachman to try and achieve this level of katnus, this level of smallness, this level of spiritual erasure of self in order to be able to make his trip to Israel successful. Well, what right? does it say about how they were treating somebody that they didn't think was Rabbi Nachman? So, but that's... Treating that person. Correct, nice. correct, right? But, but that's why I prefaced by saying it must be, right? These aren't bad people, one might think, nor were the two people that were together with, uh, with the Shliach of Eretz Yisrael. Remember, one of them went above and beyond. Beyond, right, but what I, what I what what I think they must have do a person if they believe they're acting l'shem shamayim, they're capable of doing anything, right? If somebody thinks that I'm acting for the sake of God, right? That what I'm doing is correct. I'm acting for the sake of uh, of the tzaddik Rav Avram Kalisker should not have somebody come from outside the land of Israel to go and toss and cast fuel onto the debates and the flames of debate that was happening, right? Much worse, <coughs> the fight that was happening in the land of Israel. So then you could do whatever you want to somebody because you're acting in the name for the sake of heaven. Right? People are capable of pretty horrible things for the sake of heaven. That's why when it comes to doing things for the sake of heaven, you have to really go ahead and you have to say to yourself, you have to be mavchin again and again. Is this emes? Right? Rav Shagar, Rav Shagar has an essay about this. I forgot where already. Rav Shagar has an essay about what is emes? What is a person's personal truth? And he says, whenever you feel that you've reached the point where I've identified, the, I've, I've, I have true intentions over here. I found my lishma. He says, that's the point. You have to go ahead and you have to reassess everything. Because the second that you say, oh, I know that I'm doing this lishma shamayim, actually you should stop because uh, you might not be actually be there. You might be doing the wrong thing and just putting a stamp of uh, a bisyata de shamaya on it, a stamp of heavenly approval. Right, the way Rosh Shagar continues in that essay, I wish I could give you the makor, is, is an almost dizzying level 
of search for personal truth. Almost uh, like you almost die from it because you, you'll never stop. It's a constant, right? Is this truth? And if I thought I read truth, then it's not. Which, which leads to the inexorable conclusion that truth might be something that is almost uh, never found, right? And what does that mean about a person's individual truth? Because you have to remember, Rabbi Nachman is also putting people in this situation because Rabbi Nachman is acting lishma as well. Right? He thinks, but we know Rabbi Nachman is also acting lishma, so he's capable of going ahead and putting people and putting himself in very compromising positions, and very, uh, even violating what seems to be Averus, as we'll see tonight. So, so that itself needs to be, that itself, uh, look, I, I don't have the answer for that. It's something I think about a lot. Um, it's something maybe you could carry home from, from tonight. What, is, what, what am I capable of doing if I say it's L'Shem Shamayim? You, you, could, you, can, uh, you could go ahead, you could yell at a bus of NCSY kids that get off, uh, that get off of Me'asharim that you think aren't dressed properly. You could go ahead, you can, uh, you, you can, um, you could do all sorts of things. You could violate all sorts of Averas. You could, you could tell people, you don't have to care about this aspect of Torah because we're acting L'Shem Shamayim. This is a, a fundamental religious question. It's a fundamental question of O's Hashem that part of the, the genius of retelling the story that Renazan does is he brings it to the fore. And we're not meant to just gloss over the fact that this guy is saying, hey, you, you could have condemned me to eternal damnation because of the fact that you were hiding from me or playing games with me as to who you were. Okay? So he continues, he says, so he says, he says, you revealed to me the truth. Right? I'm begging of you, take whatever I could give for you. I'll rent a ship for you. I am hereby prepared to help you with anything. And I wrote over here, I said, whoa, after, you, after everything that's happened right now, the bizyonus that Rabbi Nachman does, right, when push comes to shove, the game stops. And since Rabbi Nachman played L'Shem Shamayim, so now he's starting to collect his rewards. And the reward is going to be safe passage to the land of Israel. So Rabbi Nachman might, the phenomenology of Rabbi Nachman here is they might be saying, okay, the, the game has worked. I've managed to be mashpil myself. I've managed to lower myself. I've managed to go ahead and denigrate myself to such an extent. But now the payback, the payoff comes that I'm going to have safe passage to Israel, meaning it's going to happen for me now. Fine. Yod base. Biyom machar Omar. So the next day, the fixer comes and says, A boat is coming from outside of the land of Israel with Jews. They have with them a, a, a slaughter, a ritual slaughter. So there was a great rabbi on the boat as well, Hasidic rabbi of sorts. They're coming into the port of Istanbul and many other important individuals with them. So they asked, is Rabbi Nachman there? He revealed to them, So they told these people on the ship, Yes, Rabbi Nachman is here. And immediately Rav Zev Wolf, who is an elder rabbi, immediately sends Rabbi Nachman. They should come and he should, and he should stay by him and, they should, and, and, he, and, and he'll, he'll treat him very well. Right? So Rabbi Nachman starts to get back into it. He says, no, I'm not going. And what we have to think about here is maybe Rabbi Nachman is, second doubt, is having second thoughts about having revealed his identity so easily. Maybe actually, when he was receiving that ultimatum from the sarser at the port, maybe that was just another minia. Maybe that was just another obstacle. Maybe that was just another uh, attempt of, uh, of the Eight Sahara to go ahead and to get in his way. Maybe that was just something else that, uh, that he had to overcome. Maybe he gave up the, the, the game too easily by revealing his identity so fast. 
So all of a sudden, when he's starting to get this kavod, when he's starting to get the opposite effect, honor, so he says, no, I'm not coming. Ki amar kan tov It's good by, it's good over here where I am. Rinachman has gone back to, to his games. He's doing all sorts of childish things. He's walking around barefoot. He's not wearing a belt, a gartel. He's not wearing his upper hat. Right? So maybe the bizionists are continuing. Rinachman might think, might be thinking, I haven't done enough. It's so easy to go ahead and overcome it. I got the boat, and the guy said okay, and everything. Maybe I haven't accomplished what I was setting out to accomplish. I haven't reached the smallness that I was seeking because all of a sudden I'm starting to get covered again. I'm starting to get honor again. So he says, So he was only walking around with apparently his, uh, his vest game, right? His interschlag, the inner coat, right? He's walking around in his vest. He's walking around like, uh, like some, uh, some modern Orthodox rabbi. No kovel elio, no gartel, right? He's, not, he's wearing a vest. Shalom is a malbush that you're taking out of some jacket or clothing. So Binachman of Bresl is walking around the marketplace of Istanbul like a child. Running around and laughing. And he's having play fights with people like children do. They would call him, somebody called him, they called him the Frenchman. And he was called another nickname by another person. They would make war, you know, play games with one another. It was like they're actually fighting with each other. Rinachman did this a lot in Istanbul, just making a complete mockery. Well, we might say a mockery, but on the other hand, making a complete child out of himself. And there's something very pure, and there's something very the naive kedusha of a small child, right? Who doesn't sin? Who doesn't? Who has not a care in the world? He's playing war games, playing battles in the in the streets of Istanbul. He's not carrying himself like some rebbe or some afursim, right? This is truth, at least. Rabbi Nachman will see it, we, like we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Right? The word mefursum, famous rabbi for Rabbi Nachman, is a very fraught term. Right? Because Rabbi Nachman talks often about mefursamim shal sheker, about the great, you know, great rabbis, who people have made great names themselves, but they're actually frauds. They're actually frauds. Mefursamim shal sheker, famous frauds. So Rabbi Nachman must be terrified because really what's going on here is a search for authenticity. You know what's authentic? A child is authentic. Right? We could go and we could dive in Shemar we could give a shir on Shef Khiran, and we could research it and pretend we know a little something about it. Maybe that's just falsehood. Maybe that's, maybe that's just because, you know, we want to make a shame or we want to go ahead. I, I don't know what, all kinds of ulterior motives. A child has no ulterior motives. A child wants to play. A child wants to have fun. A child wants to laugh. Right? So maybe that's what Rabbi Nachman is doing over here. Not just the cutness, but also reaching that simplicity of childness. To daven like a child. To serve God like a child. To have a muna like a child, without doubts. The simplicity of that is something quite holy. So why go, why go to the house of a great rabbi and sit next to the great rabbi at the dais and get all this kavod and have everybody waiting for you to say your divrei Torah and to, and to inspire them, all those things. Why do that if at the end of the day you're going to be worried about whether or not that's true or not? You know what's true? Running around and playing fr- fake battles. You know, play fighting in the streets, in the markets of Istanbul. Rabbi Nachman gets that. However, a plague befell the area of Rabbi Nachman had to run away from there. So now he's forced to end up by Rabbi Zev. So, so by, uh, by hook or crook, he ends up by this rabbi that had come on this boat. 
He says, When Rabbi Nachman came, made a big meal for him. Uh-oh. Right, so he started to treat Rinachman with the great amount of honor. Right, that you can, and, and and the exaggerated nature of this over here is Ramnasan hinting to us and telling us that this is no good. Right, he starts to treat Rinachman with this immense amount of kavod, the exact polar opposite of the shvelus of the lowliness that Rinachman had engaged in previously. Rabinachman started to do a few things. So Rabinachman starts to test Can I go back into this place of cottonness? Can I go back into this place of smallness and, and embarrassing myself? Can I do that? So he says, But Rev Zev Wolf, nevertheless, it didn't bother him. He loved Rabinachman. Now that he knew who Rabinachman was, and this is also a, a, a firm critique, right? I'll explain in a second. There's a really strong critique here, I think. He loves Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. So his Ava, his love, goes ahead and it, uh, it basically goes ahead and he says, you know, the rules start to get uh, broken a little bit for love. Right? You love someone, so you're willing to tolerate a lot more than you really should. If Rabbi Nachman, if they thought that he was still just this guy, if they thought that he was still just this anonymous fellow and he was doing all this, so one could imagine, perhaps, I don't know this was Zev Wolf, they probably kicked them out just like the last people did. They wouldn't let Rabbi Nachman come in for a Shabbos meal because they were so upset at this uh, fool, right? But once they know that it's Rabbi Nachman, so they're willing to tolerate so much more. They're willing to tolerate anything because they know who it is. So Rabbi Nachman must be thinking, it's just my name. It's just my name. It's just because you think you know who I am. That's why you're treating me this way. Right? Think about how many interactions, how many human relationships that we have that are based on that kind of you know, falsehood. That's based on that kind of, I have to treat you this way because, you know, I know your father is, or, or I, I know where you work, right? Or there's some other ulterior motive. But if I don't know who you are, yeah, it happens all the time. Sometimes I hate finding out in shul. I hate finding out who people, right? Do you know who this person is? Do you know what family they're from? Or do you know what they do? I, I, the ideal is I want to treat everybody the same way, regardless of who they are. Now, that's very hard to do in human interactions, in everything, forget in shul. So that's what comes to the fore over here. He said, Rabbi Nachman's able to do anything. You'll see, he's really able to do anything because they already know who he is. So Rabbi Nachman maybe is feeling, I failed by revealing my name. Failed by giving up the gig because now they're dreaming with this great covet and, and we see what that covet is all about. It's not about what I'm really doing. It's not about who I am right now. It's about the name. It's about the shame. It's about the mafursam. It's about the famousness of this. No. So he says, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Zev, he loved him very much. Because he loved him so much, he didn't look at anything Rabbi Nachman was doing at all. Even though he had tremendous questions, how could he do such a thing? How could he do these things? Every time Rabbi Zev would daven in front of the Amud, every time he would take the Amud to daven for everybody. So, there's that word. Like the great rabbis, they daven from the Amud, they show everybody where the Bali Tefillah, which is not a bad thing, right? It's, but it's also part of going through the motions, right? It's part of what's expected. Rabbi Nachman rarely does the expected in this story, right? Or he rarely does the expected, period. And he teaches us that that's a kind of righteousness, that's a kind of Avos Hashem as well. And that there's problems, that doing the expected, doing what we think we're supposed to be doing because we're occupying this. So I'm a Shana Aleph boy or girl, so I have to do the expected. Right? I'm graduating from I'm just saying from my own, from Yeshiva University I have to do the expected. 
I'm a rabbi in a shul. I have to do what's expected of me. I have to follow the script. The Renachman doesn't follow the script. He's breaking the script. And he's showing that Avodah Hashem happens even when we break the script as well. Even when we don't follow what's expected of us, that too is good. That too, that's your own Avodah Hashem. Zayn yan shalom, yan shali. Right, that's his thing, this is my thing. Right? And what business do I have with that person's thing? Conversely, what business does that, have with, that person have with the way that I do my things? That's a powerful lesson I think that's coming out over here. So this guy was davening, and I don't think that that word is for naught over here. So what, as he's davening on Shabbos, and this great rabbi, he's taking the Ahmed, Rabbi Nachman starts to fress. Right? He's eating, he starts to eat at that time. He davened earlier, Rinachan's not breaking any halachas, right? That's important, right? Even when you're doing your own thing, right? There's a limit. You don't break halachas. You don't start eating, right? You don't start eating before you finish davening, right? Rinachman davened on his own. You didn't break halacha. Rabbi Nassim says it's important. So Rizev Wolf is leading the davening, and all the, the people are there, and they're enjoying the tzaddik's tefillah. And Rabbi Nachman is going out and eating. It's almost like Rinachman is saying, let somebody else undergo these bizionas. Let's see if this Rav Zev Wolf, let's see if he's for real. Is he able to tolerate while he's davening and leading his tzaddik's tefillah? Is he able to tolerate the fact that this other rabbi is sitting there and eating? Right? Is he able to tolerate? I know I, you know, like, like I know like sometimes when I get up to speak in shul, right? So it's like, kapeda, right? This person isn't listening intently to everything I have to say. Hey, how dare this person, you know, how dare this person not show the proper requisite kavod during a rabbi's drasha? <laughs> so this guy, Rabbi Nachman, is putting, is, is almost putting into the test also, see what a bizayun is like, see what I'm doing. You're going to be davening, and the davening is the drasha, the davening is the most important thing, the rabbi is taking the amud. Rabbi Nachman is sitting there, he's having his kugel. He's having his kugel. I mean, is there any, is there any, is there any greater embarrassment? It's like, I don't care what you're doing, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm having my Yerushalmi. I mean, I'm having my herring. Sang the Kiddush, uh... Yeah, yeah, he's probably, he's probably like, he's probably that guy during the drasha that's like, you know, talking to his friend, or, you know, he's probably like, uh, what's, you know, he's like the, the loudly, ch- the loud chewing, or the person with the child that doesn't want to take them out, right? Yeah, you think you're gonna, you think you could conduct yourself like a great sadhak? I'll show you. Take you down a peg or two. Take you down a peg or two. Show you what I'm all about, right? Let's see if, let's see if you really are, are willing to tolerate who I am. Or if it's just because of my name. Ah. So he says, V'chein. So this, this also led me a question. Does Rezeb Wolf realize what's going on? He is a great tzaddik, as, as Rav Nassim describes him. Maybe he knows what Rav Nachman is doing. It's a possibility. Right? Maybe he's aware of, of what Rav Nachman is doing. And, that's, and that's a, that, that really means that Rezeb Wolf is at a, tremendous, a tremendously high level. So he says, Yasef, Rabbi Zev. So Shabbos, this happened again on Friday night, Shabbos, and during Shabbos Davening, and during Rav Ravin. Right? My brother talked about on Shabbos the desire, the desire, the holy meal of Suda Shlishis. And when Rav Zev sat down like a tzaddik to the Suda Rav Ravin, to this great Suda, Sari Nachman already made Rech He wasn't sticking around for he wasn't sticking around for the three Mizmer Ladavids and the Kabbalah the Kabbalah Samach He wasn't waiting around for that. I'm making Rech Samazun. He told his uh, Chassid. He told the Shimon. He says she's stuck in Take a look. See if there's stars outside, right? Which is also that's like a, only a prostic yid, only a lowly Jew doesn't wait for Rabbeinu Tam. Right? There's only three stars outside Shabbos. Oh, Shabbos. Shabbos is over. Right? So he goes ahead. Everybody's waiting. This is way before Rabbeinu Tam. 
Rabbi Nachman immediately goes to the side room. He davens. Shabbos is over, right? He took his pipe. So he goes back in to where Rabbi Zev is fearing Shalashudas. There's that word again. Zevolf is conducting himself like a mefursam, like a big tzaddik. And the real mefursam here, this Rav Nachman fellow, is going and he's smoking a pipe during Suda Shlishis. Right? Everybody's saying Vene Chala. Everybody's singing their songs. Rav Nachman's smoking his pipe. But what must be going on over here is Rav Nachman realizes it was too easy. I'm getting all this covered. This is exactly what I'm running away from. This is exactly what I'm trying to get rid of before I go to Eretz Yisrael. Not breaking any halachas or anything, but I'm acting like a, a child. I'm acting small. I'm acting like I don't deserve this. I'm not being mavazer of Zev Wolf, but I'm being mavazer myself, making a, a fool out of himself, because why should I deserve this honor? Rinachman enters into the Madrash picture of this. He doesn't have his hat. He doesn't have his gartel. He has his pipe in his hand. Take of Kivlu with Kavod God or now. So Rizev accepts him with great Kavod and great honor. This is what leads me to believe that Rizev understands what Rinachman is doing. He takes him and he says, Come, come, I understand. I understand. Come here. And even at this, like, even at this almost grotesque scene with the pipe during Shalashudas, people are still having Shabbos, right? So he takes him and he brings him with love of Berich Berchas Hamaz Miyad. And, and Rabbi Zev Wolf makes Berchas Hamaz immediately. So he must know what's going on. Because Zev Wolf starts and he, he immediately ends Shabbos for himself. Rabbi Nachman ended Shabbos, we're ending Shabbos. And he talks with him the whole night. There's a great love between them. So Rabbi Nachman continued to act in, in, in childish, small ways. And he made his way to the grave of Rav Naftali. We'll talk about it in a moment who that is and what, what the significance of going to this kever is. Everything else that happened in Istanbul, whether in physicality or in spirituality, you couldn't tell. It's so much to write about. And like Rabbi Nachman explains that he felt himself in great spiritual and physical danger. Rabbi Nachman was pretty certain that he would not make it out of Istanbul and he would not make it out of Istanbul alive. That he would die there. God Almighty did great miracles for him. Right, this events and situations converged to allow his journey to continue to be successful. And he, he made it over all the what? The minias. Right, that's that word that comes up again and again. Everything is an obstacle to this great journey. Everything is an obstacle to the hasaka, to what's going to be accomplished when he ends up in Eretz Yisrael. So he was able to, to overcome and to surmount all these obstacles that, that terrorized his view of, of, of going to Eretisrael. And this katnas, this smallness, was very good for Vinachman. It worked wonders for him. Even when he was coming back from the kever, from the grave of Rav Naftali, Nafal Aretz. So he fell on the ground. He passed out and he ended up sprawled down on the ground for many hours. They brought him to his bed. And he was there for another full day and a half. He was almost looking as if, appeared as if Rabbi Nachman had died. 
Right, he was about that. He was that he was on his deathbed. Until God Almighty helped him. Shakami mitas v'chazalei tano. The was able to get up, and he was able to return to his vigor. There were great dangers, right? And there were great troubles, minios, and obstacles. Ain mismer v'cholit v'cholrega. Constant obstacles, constant things that stood in his path. At least in Rinachman's eyes, that stood in his path. Of going to Eretzisrael. But they were all effective, they were all purposeful, they were all pointedly towards this journey, making the journey to Eretzisrael what, what it would be for Rabbi Nachman. Now, a few, a few words for, for a second before we move on. Who is this Rav, Rav Naftali and why is this Rav Nachman nearly dies after visiting his kever? So, this Rav Naftali, Rav Naftali is none other than Rav Naftali Katz. Rav Naftali Katz is also known as the Baal Smichas Chachamim. He wrote a sefer, Smicha, of juxtaposition, where he basically took the last line of every Mishnah and then the Hajj, and it connected each line of every Mishnah one to the other. He was the Rav in Posen, and he was living in the 17th century during the times of Shabtai Tzvi. Shabtai Tzvi came on the scene in 1666, and there was a great... Uh, outpouring of support for, for Shabtai Tzvi and a great, possibly the greatest, I say possibly, um, possibly great, the greatest false messianic movement. Um, I'd say the greatest messianic movement of Jewish history is the one that we're experiencing nowadays with the religious Zionism. It's still, we're still waiting to see what happens. Hopefully it ends in Mashiach, right? But, but at that time there were Sabbatean prophets. There were people who were quite skilled in Kabbalah and mystical wisdom that would go ahead and would bolster Shabtai Tzvi's views, some of them for, for, for ulterior motives and Tzvi's, right, in a, in a two-faced kind of way. And some of them were quite uh, honestly believed in it, were true believers. One of them was a very talented young Kabbalist by the name of Nehemiah Chayon. Nehemiah Chayon, um, Sheim Rashaim Yerkov, so he's referred to much worse in the Sefer Shomer Amunim of Kadmon, right? He's referred to in the, most, uh, in the worst imprecations, a very talented Kabbalist. He brought an entire manuscript to this Rav Naftali Katz, who was the Rav of Posen, a major city. And uh, he showed him this manuscript and asked for Askama. In those days, to receive rabbinic approbation was a serious deal. It wasn't like, I looked at your Sefer, Avalti, Akamadapim, and I know, and I know this guy who knows you, so I'll sign it, and uh, you know, I don't have time, Achmasa, Tirdus Harabos, or whatever. Askama was a big deal. You had to go and seek out a rabbinic approbation for your Sefer. And really, it couldn't really, without that imprimatur, it wouldn't be able to be read. So Nehemiah Chayon comes with the entire manuscript, gives it to Rav Naftali Katz, and he looks it over, he says it's a very oiskehalt work of uh, Kabbalah, very real work of Kabbalah, and he issues his approbation. Soon after, he finds out that this Nehemiah Chayon is, um, has taken his approbation, appended it to another work, which is pure kfira, which is pure heresy, pure Sabbatean heresy, the worst kinds of stuff. And it started, he started to go around. He said, look, I have the askama of a great Kabbalist, Rav Taftali Katz, the Baal Smichas Chachamim, has given me askama to my Sefer. And, um, and he went around. When, when Rav Naftali Katz found out about it, and he had other problems. He had a problem with the Jewish community there, and he was stripped of his uh, position. So he went around to tell everybody, he traveled around to rescind his askama and say, had I known, never. Never ever would have gone ahead and, and done this. Right? He was a great, he was chief rabbi, he was descended to the Maral, he was a great rabbinic figure, and all of a sudden his approbation is appended to this work of Kvira. How could that be? Anyways, he decides, he goes back, he tries to be reinstalled in Posen, it doesn't work out. He decides, I'm going to have to make it to Eretz Yisrael. He tries to go to Eretz Yisrael, where does he end up? In Istanbul. He dies in Istanbul. In fact, he's buried in Istanbul. On his yurt, it was recently a friend of mine who was on Shlichus in Istanbul, went to his kever, took a picture of it, 
of the Kever in Istanbul, of this great uh, world, you know, world-level Kabbalist of all the generations, the Baal Smicha Sechamim, wrote another sefer called Birchas Adoshem, right? And, and, and he took a picture, so here I am. The Kever of Naftali Katz, said, you know, Rabbi Nachman Mamish was lying on the floor in that place, right? He, he nearly died where you're standing, right? right? The, take your shoes off your feet. The place you're standing is very holy. Rabbi Nachman was literally right there. This is the last place he visited before he went to Teretz Yisrael. So he went to the kever of the Baal Smichas, Chachamer of Naftali Katz. So Rabbi Nachman probably sees what his journey could have become had he maybe not engaged in, in, this, in this unbelievable self-degradation and cottonness that he was engaged in, this freakish kind of uh, you know, self-mockery that he had engaged in. So maybe that's why, yeah, hi. Where about is Posen? Posen is Poland. Posen is a community in Poland, I believe, yeah. Poland, I mean, I guess at, at that time, the, the Grand Duchy, I don't know who is, who is in control of Poland. It's pre napoleon yeah. Right, it's pre no, We're talking uh, 1649 to 1718, he dies. Yeah, yeah so, so this is much earlier. Right, so the, uh, Rabbi Nach, this trip is having 1798, so he's buried there really at the beginning of, of, the, of the 18th century. Yeah. Childish behavior on the yeah. part of, of uh, Rav Nachman. Yeah. The fact that Rav Wolf understands that, that there's a meaning behind I think so. I think so. But the other people don't understand that. That's for sure. That's they, they have to be horrified. It's an insult to the rest of the congregation. That man pulls out a pipe and he's eating kugel while, while the davening is going on. I, I don't. I don't understand how Rav Nachman could think that that was okay. self-degradation. Yeah, I, I, look, I, um, I, I share in, in the befuddlement of how this is possible. Um, the only thing I could say is that it took, meaning we sometimes have a very big idea, right? We sometimes have a very big idea that's difficult to understand. So what happens sometimes is we need, we need a sarsor. We need somebody to stand in between to allow that idea to be understood by other people. It sounds like, it sounds like because of this reservoir status and the love that he shows for Nachman, despite that, and the fact that he, he seizes his prayers and he ends it and he shows people, it sounds like there was some sort, we're not told, you're, you're right, we're not told this, but one must infer that at the very least Rezevulf did make it did make this a little bit more, he was matimid. He made it a little bit more digestible what was going on for everybody else. Mira Zevwolf is almost like an intermediary of sorts. He understands Rina is doing. He also would understand you and I, our befuddlement at how this is even possible. Right? So could, it, it must be, I think, because otherwise you're right. It's, it really is it's very difficult to understand. Right. Right? It must be that there's some sort of, of sub-narrative that's, that, that this is being understood by people. Okay, let's let this play out. Let's let this happen. I think about Sarsour that you, you've used it before. Yeah. Um, there's this terrible woman. This. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar. Anyway, yeah, I'm familiar. It means a totally different thing. I don't know what it means. Uh, I, I don't know what so the feeling. In this, in this context, it means an intermediary. It's, yeah, like a fixer, a fixer, right? That's what but it means. It's a positive thing. Yeah, it's a, a job description. Job description. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, look, I have no. Uh, none of us should have any patience for anti-Semites. That's uh, especially for for people for anti-Semites that are mitzavah themselves and where the haluka de rabbanon that carry themselves and, and throw over the the rabbi schlock and say, look, it's holy, you know, uh, you know, whatever. It's a. Uh,
let's say, suffice to say, I, I agree that there is a quite negative kind. That's not what it means over here. Um, anyway, so, so one other thing, one other thing. We said, that this smallness of Nachman did work for him very well. So I'm reminded in Sicha Saran, I'm not gonna, I, I didn't print it out for you guys, but I'm just going to read you a line from Sicha Saran, from Nachman's short, um, from Nachman's short Torahs over here. This comes from, from, uh, from Dalit Shin, number 304. So Rinachman writes, I'll read you two lines over here. What does he mean that the katnus worked very well for him? Pam achas his slotzeitz mizeh. Rinachman laughed at something. He says, we daven for this every single day. In the beginning of davening, God Almighty, he don't bring me to any tests, don't test me, and definitely don't bring me to any bizyonos, don't bring me to any sort of embarrassments. Now I'm going to mangle the Yiddish, so don't uh, have mercy on me. He says, Adra Nisayon, Adra Bizayon. Or a Nisayon, or a Bizayon. Rabbi Nachman sees these two as, as, as almost tantamount in the sense, as, as a sequence. He says, If Rabbi Nachman, if, if you don't stand in the test, when we're tested, if you don't stand in the test, then, you'll, then that's the real embarrassment. Right, almost like what the psychology over here, because we know from this Torah and Sichasran, psychology over here is Rinachman sees everything with this Rzev Wolf, everything with all these people, everything he sees this as a, um, as a test. Is he going to be able to stand in this test? And all these bizionas, everything that we see him going through over here, we know what the word bizionas means now. All these degradations that he's undergoing over here. So the real degradation will be if he doesn't, if he doesn't keep up, if he doesn't pass this test. That's the real degradation. That's, that's, where, that's where the real shvelis will come from. Right? So that's, so Edra and Isayon, Edra Bizayon. Right? If I don't stand in this test, it's going to be a massive Bizayon. This also reminds me of a very famous Torah in Torah Vav in Likut Maran. In Torah Vav in Likut Maran, a Kral Yeshua, particularly, uh, a, a particularly well known uh, passage in, uh, in Rabbi Nachman's masterwork of Likut Maran. So Rabbi Nachman says that the main aspect of tshuva, the main kind of tshuva, right? He says, Ikra tshuvi, Main aspect of tshuva, right? You want to repent? So you should be, be able to undergo embarrassment and be able to be silent, be able to, to take it and accept it. Right? So much of tshuva is, is contained in that statement, right? That I'm not so big, that I'm not such an important person, that my own covet is not so paramount. God's covered. Right? God's honored. That's what's paramount over here. Right? So Rabbi Nachman, this is a very famous line, a very famous idea in the Torah of Rabbi Nachman that, that main tshuva. And Rabbi Nachman's trying to do tshuva over here. He's trying to, he's trying to return back to a place where he's going to be able to enter Eretz Yisrael. Right? That main tshuva happens when a person is able to accept upon themselves their own bizionos. This happens multiple times. Something, what, what happened? I think I try and think about this a lot because otherwise... Otherwise, you know, bizionis are really hard, right? When, when we undergo mockery, you know, like, uh, I won't say it. Think about it. It, it happens, right? 
So we get mocked, we say the wrong thing. Oh, I'll tell you a different one, a lighter one. So, so like a fool, I accepted to go ahead and to Davin Musaf. Nobody was Davin Musaf up here. So, and, and, I, and I was using the, you know, I was trying to be a Mephirsim, right? So I was using the tune, the beautiful tune that Rabbi Spiegel used in the five towns when he would be Mavarich B'chodesh. That's I, so for a second I thought like I'd be like Rabbi Spiegel. I could never be like Rabbi Spiegel. It's a big tzaddik, right? So, so Rabbi Spiegel, I could still remember as a kid, Rosh Chodesh Teves, Rosh Chodesh Shvat. So what did I do? Not only did I mess up the month, but I messed up the, the day that Rosh Chodesh was going to be. I misheard it. Right? They said, they said the advent of the new month, but they didn't say that Rosh Chodesh is not Sunday night. Right? It's, not, it's going to be Monday. And I stood there and I had the niggin down and I had kavan and the talus on my hand, the holding the Sefer Torah. Bizayon, everybody in the shul. No, it's Yom Sheni, Yom Sheni. What a fool, right? What a fool. And I said to myself, well, first of all, that's not a true tshuva because what am I going to do about it? Yell at them, right? How dare you? But the truth is that it felt, it felt good for a second to mess up the month and to mess up the day, especially when I'm trying to do like Rebbe Shishtik. Because then the tshuva is to realize, who the heck are you? What are you doing? You should have, you should have not gone up there in the first place. Let them figure out the chazan. Who do you think you are using Rabbi, Rabbi Spiegel's niggin when you get up there? That's... that's Sometimes, sometimes that's, that's a moment where, where I'm actually learning, right? It's not when you're opening up the Sefer, it's when you're living it out, right? And it's living it out, these ideas, right? That God is found through cottons, sometimes. That, that before you hit a new level, you have to clean out the other level. Anyway, there was another one that I'm not, not going to say. But, so he says, so this worked for him very much. Right? And, and, and before we read the, what will be the, the last two, right? The last two, I want to say one thing. I want to say that Rabbi Nachman talks over here about Minios, which keeps on coming up. I want to ask a, a question, is that how do we properly identify Minios? What, what, what exactly is an obstacle in our Avodah Hashem? Maybe sometimes something is, is there because we really shouldn't be doing it. Right? Maybe something is actually standing in our way because that's the way it's supposed to be. I'll give an example. Right? We, so, so we have a friend that's not feeling so well and uh, we wanted to come hang out with us and I'm a lava malka. And, um, and we offered, we said, come with us to the Malava Malka. He said, sure. He said, but, you know, but, but this person is immunosuppressed. This person, is, this person is, is very sick. Something bad could happen to them. It would have been a terrible thing for them to come to us. But on the other hand, it would have been Bikrcholim, and it would have been Dibuk Chaverim, we would have been together, it would have been a very special thing. And immediately I had Harat in saying, in inviting to come. I said, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? And then my friend who's sitting next to me, who's also... A Breslover Chassid, right? a real, real Breslover Chassid says, no, he should come with us. Right? That, that's, it will be Avodah Hashem. We'll be together with Shatorah. Right? We'll sing together. We'll eat together. It, it will be nice. We'll eat together with Haver. He says, Our, your regret, you're thinking it's a bad decision. Maybe that's a minia. Maybe that's something in the way. How do you know? Maybe that's the wrong thought. Maybe you really should come with us. That's what Avodah Hashem demands right now. You see, you can, you can go crazy from something like this, right? You could, you, you could go nuts. Sometimes, so it was shown afterwards. We, we recognized something happened. We were told, okay, that's, it, was, it was much better than the income with us. It was the right move. But for a moment there, we're thinking about Meneas. So it's a question to ask yourselves. Another question to ask yourself, what exactly is, how do we identify properly what a Meneas, what an obstacle in our Avodah Hashem is? How do we properly identify 
whether this is a path that we should continue on and we just got to break on through to the other side and once we destroy that obstacle we'll discover our Eretz Yisrael or at a certain point should Rabbi Nachman like for example you said I'm obviously not meant to go to Eretz Yisrael it's obviously not meant to be when do we when, how do we correctly identify that you know part of this is also like the Navi Yirmiya says cries out to Kajbach one of my favorite psukim cries out to Kajbach he says HaKadosh Baruch he's asking like his Tzadik Viralo his like theodicy question he says Lama Derech Rishayim Tzilecha why is the way of the wicked so simple in this world why does it seem to me that the wicked skate along in this world and the righteous and people trying to be righteous keep on hitting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and so hard for them how could that be how could that be I ask you Rabbi Nachman recognizes that only for a Russia is it Tzilecha. Only for a Russia is it, is it easy skating. That a tzaddik is going to be filled, right? The tzaddik is going to be filled with, with doubts. The tzaddik is going to be filled with, am I doing the right thing? Somebody that says, I'm doing the right thing, that's a sign you're not doing the right thing. Somebody that says, I have, I, have, I have more to fix, I have more to do, right? I'm not quite satisfied. I'm not quite at the point that I want to be. That's maybe like the only indication that we have in this world in Avodah Hashem that we might be doing the right thing when it's not so simple. Which is why Rabbi Nachman in so many places tells us that the goal at the end of the day is not complexity. The goal is not, uh, you know, multi-layered, multi-faceted complexity in Avodah Hashem. You know what the goal is in Avodah Hashem? Simplicity. Pashtas. Are you going to reach there? Probably not. But that should be the goal. Right? I forgot who it said. The greatest genius is, is Simplicity. Right, the greatest genius to be able to explain complex things in a simple fashion. Right, but it's also simplicity, not in the sense of, of simplicity, not in the sense of, of of being unsophisticated. Simplicity, not in the sense of being of being crass or coarse or lacking depth, but simplicity in the sense of containing everything in one point. That kind of simplicity, holy simplicity. That's Nachman, right? Don't read, don't read works of philosophy, right? Don't don't get into hakiras. Don't think about the existence of God or or why does bad things happen to good. Don't do that. Just serve God the pashtas. Says that's the greatest genius of all. So that's what Nachman might be searching out for over here. So he knows that if it's tzelecha, he knows that if it's smooth sailing, which immediately doesn't happen right, as he hits a storm, if it's smooth sailing, we got a problem. Let's continue. Last one. Yeah, last, uh, last chapter for tonight. So he says, said, He so deeply immersed himself in this smallness and in this katnas. And he became so used to this katnas. He, he had succeeded in entering into this world of smallness and childishness and self-mockery, and self-degradation, when he finally reached Eretz Yisrael, and he said, okay, now I'm in Eretz Yisrael, I don't, have to, I don't have to do that, I've made my way here, I've overcome the obstacles. So he had to push himself, he had to work very hard to break, to shatter that mold, to shatter that persona, and that identity of smallness which he had adopted. I was thinking to myself like, even the, even bizonos, even self mockery and feeling like dirt, you can have like a yetsahara for that too, right? Sometimes it feels good to be like prust. Sometimes it feels good to be like low and and nothing and and not not to expect anything of yourself and to be in the dirt and dust, right? Sometimes it feels good to be like to to not to not change your clothes and to and to just be filthy and to wallow, 
Right? There's the Yitzhahara for that. Right? Where the, the Rinachan is saying, right, if you, it, sometimes you could get to that place. It was very hard for him in the beginning to put himself there, but once you're there, pig in mud. I'm happy here. It's good. It's, it's, it's good to be in this, in this low state. It's not so... It's enticing. So he said he had to work very hard to force himself to break in, to rediscover who he was. Right? Not only, is, not only is do you make it out, not only is are you nichnas b'shalom into this world of katnas and yotze b'shalom back into your former self, you could get lost in that. Right? Sometimes we've met people who, who have tried something in our Vodas Hashem, have, have tried something, they've lost their mind. They've lost their previous self. They were never able to, to go ahead and take whatever hasaga, take whatever they gained from that experience, whether it was smallness or greatness or, or whatever it was. Not always are they able to go ahead and to convert that into being a part of who they are and they take on a totally new persona and sometimes it's very scary. They, get, they lose themselves in the process. Rinachman almost lost himself in the process. Right? He almost lost himself in his katnas. He was very used to it. Because he had forced himself so much in the beginning to get into this katnas. When he came back from Yitzchol, he had great novel understandings of this matter. And his great understanding of what it means to go from a world of greatness, godless, into katnas, and then back again to godless, into greatness. So he had great understandings. Amok, amok, so deep. Nobody had ever understood it like he understood it before. Why would he do this? Because everybody knows that if you want to go ahead and you want to reach a new level, we should always be reaching a new level. Right? You go. Right? You always have to be going. Navi tells us. You always have to be walking. We can never be satisfied being on one level. One madregan of Hashem. Youth, where how do we find youth? By always moving. We talked about this. Always moving. We talked about this Pizetz Nashirim. Youth means to always be on the move. Youth means not to be satisfied with one target, to always seek something else. Another class, another experience, another museum, another tefillah, another individual to come in contact with. Don't say, this is how I am. Right? Somebody came to my brother at the end of the Shabbos and said, I've never, I've never been able to connect to mystical ideas in Judaism before. I heard this. Never been able to connect to it. It always seemed like... Fluff, hocus pocus, lacking content and substance. It was always seen to me like a childish excuse for what could be real learning. He said, I heard you. I said, now it's for the first time. I need, to, I need to learn more. I mean, that's youth. That's youth. This is a grown man. This is a grown man who said that. That's youth. Youth is being able to do something brand new. That's a chiddush. Being able to go ahead like Rabbi Nachman to break the mold of being a, ta- a, gr- a grandson of Al Shem Tov and a great young Hasidic rabbi and be able to become a child playing games in the marketplace and then to go back to Yisrael and to have a Rosh Hashanah where you're going to see like no other Rosh Hashanah ever was before. That's youth. And that's why Rabbi Nachman describes Rabbi Nachman do this, this pattern many, many times a day. That's what he indicates to us. You've got to be a bouncing soul. Let's finish up. Before you go from one level to another, a very important Hasidic concept, Kabbalistic concept. Before you reach the next level, you have to go ahead and have a Yerida. You have to lower yourself. Right? If you're climbing up stairs, the way that works spiritually is you basically go up the stairs and then you go, maybe you go back down to the first stair before you reach the next stair. Right? I, think, I feel like there's like a Fred Astaire dance like that. I forgot. I, I, saw, I once saw in like one of these black and whites, oh, right? Yeah. You're going up the spiral staircase, then each step you go all the way back down again. That's sort of like what it is. Right? Who's, oh, come on, who's that great? Cab Calloway, right? 
So it's like you see Cab Cowley dancing up the, the grand staircase, right? With the going up a step, then back down a step. Going up a step, back down to the, That's how it works in spirituality. Always back down to, to, to stage one. Why does that happen? Sri Nachman explains to us in other areas. Many other tzaddikim explain to us as well. Why do you need the Yerida before the Aliyah? I'll explain to you like this. There's other explanations. Why is that necessary? Just go up. Because the only way that you know whether or not your Aliyah is real the only way you understand that you're really ready for that next level is when you comprehend that it's not situational. Sometimes it's very easy to be a, a, a grace at tzaddik. Sometimes it's very easy to be a big servant of Hashem when everything is good. I'm in the right place. I'm in the, everything is fine. Everything is fine, so I'm able to serve Hashem properly. How do I know that that's real? If I put myself in a situation, or if I find myself in a situation, sometimes, unfortunately, it's not up to us when those uridos come. It's not up to us when those low, those low periods come. But when I find myself at that ebb, on the bottom of the wave, not riding it, and I'm still able to maintain all the hasagas, all the things that I've gained, that's, when I only, that's only when I know that I'm truly ready for the next level. You hear that? So you read the Litzurah Chaliyah. You can't keep on going up if it's only a situational thing. If it's only contextual because things are good. Right? If I'm able to dive in when, when I'm doing great and the markets are great and, and the money's flowing in and, and, and the kids are doing great and there's no issues in school and I'm only thankful to Kaj Baruch at those times and I'm learning and I'm growing and I've never been tested and I never know what it is to serve Hashem in a time of Katnos. When, the, when my wallet is empty and when my kids are when, I, when, when, I'm, when I'm in a fight my kids, are, my kids are messing up at school then tell me are all those hasagos is all the greatness they have before is that real? so that's why you want to go ahead and hit that next level great make sure it's emes make sure it's true before you go ahead and hit that level that's why by the way we, we sometimes find great people Great people, right? In Avodah Hashem, great people that, that, that could change like this in a moment, right? That, that we could see ugly things coming from them in a moment because the truth is they were always by the ugliness. Regardless of what the outside was, regardless of what the outer trappings are, all the shiurim, all the Torah, all the mitzvahs, all that stuff, the second, sometimes the second the fortunes change, right? So, so ugliness starts to come out because they never had the Yerida Litzarech Aliyah. That's why we need smallness in our Avodah Hashem. To be sometimes a simple person completely. Because Rinachman throughout all of his life never stood at one place, was never comfortable, never rested. Every day, every moment, it was always rising. Even when he was going down, it was, it was in order to rise even higher. It was almost to, to, to crouch, to be rovitz before you jumped up to the next level. That's why Rabbi Nachman understood this kind, the, the phenomenology of somebody that undergoes the ebb and flow of life, the ebb and flow, the ups and downs in Avodah Hashem. Rabbi Nachman understood it greater than anybody else because he went through it himself. And Rinasim wrote it down for us in order to understand. That's, you ask why I connect to Rinachman. It's because of this. Because he understands the ups and flows. He understands the ups and downs. He makes the Yerida itself into an Aliyah. He's able to harness the uncertainty of spiritual life, to harness the fact that we know, we know it's going to be low sometimes. We know, some of us, I go through life waiting. When is, when's the next hit? 
Everyone thinks it's great. When's the, when's the next thing going to come? You know it's going to come. Sri Nachman teaches us how to harness that and say, even when that hit comes, even when that hit comes, it's also going to be an aliyah. I'm also, Bezegam Yismach Bashem. In this, I'm also going to praise God. Azamr Lakai Boidi, famous line from Nachman. Even with this little bit that's left, I'll still be Azamr Tashem. I don't care. Come with me. Amok, Amok, Miyam Sana. Who could be able to understand this? We'll pause over here tonight. Bli um, Nether, we will be able to continue next week, it seems as well. Uh, we still haven't made it to Eretz Yisrael. But in truth, I will say that we have made it to a Bechina of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Rabbi Nachman is not yet on the ship, but Rabbi Nachman is already starting to taste what Eretz Yisrael is a little bit. And so are we. Thank you all so much for.